0: The free-for-all roundtable.
1: Brought to you by Lexus Vaughan, Canada's newest Lexus dealer in the Maple Auto Mall near Rutherford at Highway 400. Luxury is closer than you think.
0: Round one.
1: On round one, we say good morning to Jerry Agar live in studio. He'll be here from nine to noon with the Jerry Agar show. Scott Reed, CTV political commentator and advisor to a number of Canadian prime ministers. Deb Hutton also here, former advisor to two premiers now in private practice. Good morning to y'all. Happy Tuesday. Day. And let's actually start with a story that I don't want to spend a great deal of time on because I find this to be somewhat eccentric as a poll. Uh, with all due respect to our friends at The Star, the poll reveals that Bonnie Crombie is the front runner for the provincial liberal leadership. And my challenge, Scott Reed, would be to anybody taking
2: this poll name the other people running. That's right. Uh, but that's the lesson of it, which tells you that Bonnie Crombie is the only person in this race that has, you know, broad, widespread name recognition and profile. So that's a pretty big advantage, especially in a one member, one vote system where you need to try to generate enthusiasm and you know, memberships in a wide variety of ridings, not just across the GTA, but all across the province. So, you know, the bottom line is Bonnie's going to announce tomorrow. I think she faces two tests. One, uh, can she live up to her own hype? And, you know, I think she's a pretty capable, experienced politician. And two, and Jerry and I have talked about this before. And the the second one, obviously, is how is she going to handle the issue of uh, sitting as mayor and running for the candidacy? And what's she going to do about that? I don't think she can be Lib, I don't think she can say it's no big deal. I think she's going to have to address it directly, and I think she's going to have to have a policy that makes sense to people.
1: Deb, I think polls are generally useful, but there are some polls that are conducted where I think people, maybe on the other end of the phone, think, oh goodness, I need to have an opinion. What's my opinion? What's my opinion?
0: Yeah, for sure. Otherwise, we wouldn't see what we're seeing in Toronto where we have such, other than Olivia Chow being in first place, we have such disparate numbers for all of the other, most of the other front-running candidates. Uh, I, I will just say on this, I mean, Scott's right, this is name recognition first and foremost, but I actually think this goes beyond that for Bonnie. She is a very capable politician. Uh, I think most people consider her to be very steady, very smart, uh, very capable, and so this actually, I think, means more than quite often it does when we're talking strictly name recognition. The question for me is, how does she actually interact with the mechanics and the machinery of the Liberal Party? And of course, I have no insight (laughs) into that. But I do think if you have not been deeply involved in the party, regardless of what your partisan bent might be, it is a bit more difficult to get the ground organization to get the fundraising and all of those sorts of things. So will her name recognition, will her profile allow her to do that in a way that a a steady member of the party can much more naturally?
1: Yeah, I'd speculate that if if you go to, what, we're down to six sitting MPPs now and tell them we're going to grow your ranks, they'll say, anything, anything, let's go.
3: Yeah, well, it's kind of like saying I'm going to bring back Target Canada. Like, a, it's it's a bit of a problem. I thought they'd have a turnaround immediately after they were decimated the way they were a couple of elections ago, so I find that surprising. And really quickly on the issue of her being the mayor of Mississauga, Gavin Tai yesterday, when I was filling in for you, John, was talking to him, he came up with a possible legal impediment for her to do a uh, uh, to do both, because you can't be party politics and a municipal elected official. It's illegal.
1: So she may have an issue there. Yeah, all right. Well, if anybody can parse that one, it's Gavin Ty. Um, CERB, according to a survey of people who collected it, helped a significant number of them to find better jobs. Uh, Jerry Egar not much of a surprise, although um, Tim Hudak was a bit jaundiced about the whole thing. He said, well, everybody made changes during COVID, so maybe Maybe they just made the changes without CERB.
3: Well, when you say a better job, a better job than they had before, because yeah. they didn't have a job. Well, they were on CERB. <laughs> right? No better job than they had before they were furloughed. Yeah, so yeah. it was a it was a, a not greatly well paid job search. I mean, it was below minimum wage, by the way, CERB, Uh, which I always find fascinating because politicians get on their high horse about minimum wage. But then when they were going to give people money because you threw them out of work, you gave them less than minimum wage. Uh, But at least they had something. And some of them, if they improved themselves, then
1: good for them. I mean, the CERB program had to be done. Deb Hutton, I guess it could be argued that if you offer people some degree of financial security and a period of time, then they're probably going to find a way to improve their lives.
0: Yeah, let's be clear what this uh, study, I put in quotation marks, is. It's an effort to get us all as Canadians to support some form of basic income or guaranteed annual income. So they're using CERB for that. Let's get over it. CERB was an absolutely necessary, and yes, sometimes not perfect, way to get and, uh, money into the hands of people who desperately needed it during a worldwide pandemic. It was the right thing at the right time, but it's done. It's over. And if you want to make the pitch for a guaranteed annual income and greater social safety net, then do it. But don't use CERB for it. Like, this is just a bad excuse. We're done with CERB. We're done talking about it. Yes, there were problems, but the government did what it should do to the best of their ability at the time.
1: Okay. Scott Reed, you can take it wherever you want. I just don't see this as a sideway point. I think it's an indication that giving given a breather and given enough money to keep the rent that you might improve yourself as many people did.
2: That's, that seems intuitive to me. I think there's probably lots of other insights and observations. I need to be honest. I haven't read the study. I want to read the study. I'll just make this broad point, you know, uh, faced with crisis and, you know, often unable to get stuff done. Government I'm talking about. The creation and execution of CERB, I think it's going to stand the test of time. I think we're going to be talking about it decades from now, saying like it was one of the most successful public policy and political responses to a real moment of crisis that we've seen post Second World War. Like, I just think the thing was. it, it was it, it was really vital and it worked. and so much about government doesn't work and so much of what we had to say about government is so dripped in cynicism and criticism, you know, often very for very good reasons. it worked and it kept us uh, afloat. Okay, so, John, what is your point? That if somebody decides they'd like to
3: improve themselves, should have a government program where they get paid while they do that?
1: Well, I do support the Universal Income Project because it does support and backstop people, and the majority of them improve themselves through education or training and then find a better job and pay taxes. Okay, well, there's a good reason that won't work in Canada, and that is because the only way it would work, and I would be for
3: it, is uh, Universal Basic Income starts on January 1st in 2024, and December thirty first, twenty twenty three, all other
1: social programs are folded down and canceled. They're gone. They're so done.
0: Here, here, Jerry.
1: There would be one way we could find out if the program works, and that would be if Doug Ford hadn't canceled the pilot project.
3: Yeah, well, there were pilot projects before, but it doesn't. But it doesn't get rid of the the other social safety net programs. You can't have both.
0: It, that hundred percent. That's why he canceled the pilot project, because it didn't do what a guaranteed annual income or basic income is supposed to do, as Jerry says. Well, we didn't which know is, that because we
1: didn't finish the pilot.
0: No, the pilot didn't take away the other programs, John. It did not do what the true definition of of that type of program should be. It did not. It wasn't about whether we oh, finished on, it or not. It didn't the start we're there. Talking
2: about. It's not like this was brought down from the mountaintop by Moses. I mean, there's a lot of variations and approaches you could take, a lot of experiment that's probably warranted to figure out how exactly you'd want to execute it. Just because you grow pe- peas and carrots in your garden doesn't mean you can't also grow potatoes.
3: No, you can't afford to have a complete social welfare system like we have now and a basic income. We we can't do that.
2: You're making the assumption that a basic income will actually uh, be a net. Uh, a net drain on the Treasury, I think some suggestions are that actually it may be beneficial. By the way, when AI replaces all of our jobs, universal income may be a necessary response. Well, AI isn't coming for the roundtables. Um, I yeah. don't I don't even
1: know how to unpack the stats from the TTC, and even John Burnside, who chairs the TTC board, said um, he had to look closer at this because we're told that the number of reported offenses was down by 32.6 percent, but the number of major crimes or the incidence of major crimes on all combined systems, which includes Go Transit, about which I understand, Deb, you can't speak because you're on the board of directors, Uh, but major crime was up 24%. Um, Scott, this doesn't make me feel any more secure about the TTC.
2: Well, uh, maybe not. And uh, look, numbers are numbers. I heard uh, John Burnside. I thought he made a lot of sense particularly in his caution of let's get a number of months and then sort of look at what the overall trend lines are and what seems to be persistently true. But I actually, these numbers are encouraging. I mean, obviously, there's no good news in violent crimes being up, but it's up as a percentage of an overall decrease in incidents on TTC. So, you know, perception is always going to lag reality. But if you can start to make it a safer experience over time, then, you know, confidence in the system is going to increase. Now, obviously, You know, it also tells you uh, that policing works. And I think the persistence of major crimes suggests that, you know, policing is even more necessary because those are the kinds of crimes for which, you know, actual intervention is required. Okay, looking at these numbers, Deb Hutton, would you be more confident
1: about putting your daughters on the subway?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked the question. So for me, there's there's two issues here. Does it look like the extra policing is working? And I think on the surface, a, a cautious yes. And the second, as Scott said, do we feel safer? My eight-year-old, nine-year-old just got invited to a birthday party where they are taking a group, a small group of girls, but nonetheless, a group of girls on the subway down to Ripley's Aquarium. All of the moms said, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not real comfortable with my nine-year-old, albeit with responsible parents, going on the subway in a group. So the answer to the second question for me is clearly no.
3: Okay. Jerry? The only thing that I, I would, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but the other thing people have been complaining about with the TTC is that the trains aren't coming often enough. So I had two trains I had to catch yesterday, and in both cases, I was coming down the stairs when I saw the doors close and the train pull away, so I have to wait the maximum time. And I just out of curiosity, I got out my phone and I ran the stopwatch. And in both cases, I waited less than three minutes. So get
1: over it, people. Depends on the time of day and what's going on. All I can say is if I take the subway midday, almost every time on the Yonge line, we're rolling at, you know diminished speed for some reason. Uh, Yesterday, Aaron O'Toole gave a classy speech in which he called on his fellow MPs not to go down the rabbit hole of social media and sniping at each other. Uh, But Jerry Agar, it can't be forgotten, Aaron O'Toole had a pretty aggressive social media strategy.
3: Well, that's politics. Like I I looked at this and said, what are you talking about? I mean, sniping at one another has been a part of politics since politics started. So what's he talking about?
1: Okay, Scott Reed, he's getting an awful lot of uh, encomiums what a glorious speech! What a lot made. Of what? Tributes. Okay, all right. Uh, about his speech, and yet you know, who can forget that ridiculous porta potty where he said, "This is going to be
2: Justin Trudeau's new office." Well, look, he's always going to be vulnerable to that. I mean, that's what actually I think undermined him as the leader. Ultimately, people said, "You ran as a true blue, you ran as a hard right, and then you tried to govern as a red Tory, but um, or govern the party as leader as a red Tory." Um, They all get religion on the way out. I still don't think that means some of the things he said are illegitimate. Uh, I hear what Jerry's saying. You know, politics has always been an elbows-up game. But social media, the ability to be anonymous, the ability to fire hose your opponents, um, all of that, that that sense of distance, it's made it toxic. It's made it ugly. It's made it unvarnished. And it's not a good direction. So, yeah, sure, it's always an elbows-up game. It doesn't have to be pull out your switchblade and plunge it in the eye socket of your opponent. Nice. Uh, Deb Hutton, quick last word.
0: (laughs) You know what? On your first day, your maiden speech, and on last day, you get to say whatever the heck you want.
1: (laughs) Okay. Good to have you all. Thanks for being here on round one. Jerry Agar is going to be back at 845 to let us know what's happening on his show today. He's back in the saddle, 9 to noon. He was here yesterday morning. Uh, Deb Hutton and Scott Reed. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010, Toronto.